The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. By turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. Let the words of my lips and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I want to ask you all a different question, inspired by our gospel, but fundamentally different than what we hear in the text. Who do people say that you are? Who do people say that you are? Miss Judy's 4K class here at St. Stephen's Preschool, they've been working through the alphabet. I have a little insider knowledge thanks to my four-year-olds. Um, the first two weeks of the school year, they were focused on M words, so I when Bailey came home, I learned about magic muffin and marshmallows and all that good stuff. Um, this past week, they were focused on the letter A. And so each day of the week, she had to bring an apple to school. She knows um, that apple now starts with A and alligator and her mom's name, Ann, and even the state of Alabama that is now home. 
Um, and so when we're getting in the car this week, and we haven't quite figured out our routine, so I'm not sure on what day these ended up in our car, but there was a little Ziploc bag with three apple seeds in it. And so it's possible that this bag had been sitting in the car for a couple of days, and, and when we picked Bailey up from, in carpool on Friday, she sees the bag in this Bellow from the back announces, you've killed my seeds. They're dying and they're breaking open. Now, I don't know if the bag had moisture in it and they had begun germinating over the past few days and were teeming with life, but isn't this how that natural cycle of life in plants work? The death of a fruit, that seed that is necessary for new life. Bailey was right, although I don't think she understands the full cycle of life. The seeds had died, but that was necessary for growth. That was necessary for resurrection. What I've learned in my little research this weekend, a seed from a small apple could can grow a tree that produces 500 apples a year for 15 to 20 years. I'm interested in the dialogue in our scriptures today. Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? It's a question about identity. Some see him as John the Baptist, others as the great prophet or Elijah. But the disciples know something, or at least they know, they know the answer that Jesus is looking for. And so they respond, you are the Messiah. And usually, at least the way that I work, when I offer up the right answer in class or in some setting, I'm often looking for some sense of affirmation. So it's interesting the response that we get. Jesus orders them sternly not to tell anyone. It's not the answer that we would expect to hear. It might be why he teaches the disciples what this means, that he is going to be taken and rejected and crucified. And yet after three days, he's going to be raised up. And the disciples, they're shocked. Peter is so upset by this message that he takes Jesus aside to rebuke him. I can almost hear Peter, Jesus, I know that you're the Messiah, but isn't knowing that good enough? Doesn't that mean that we're all saved or we're all kind of, we're all taken care of? He doesn't want to believe what Jesus is telling him, what the future has in store for his friend. And so when Jesus speaks into the crowds and to his friends, it's a lesson about picking up their cross. And while they may not know that their friend is about to be crucified, they certainly understand this violent imagery. They begin to see what Jesus is talking about. I have a confession to make to you all. I sat back the other day and I've been reflecting on our time together these eight months. 
And it felt like we were hitting several benchmarks all at the same time. The website that the staff has been working on for, for a few months um, finally went live. Um, our volunteer Christian education leaders for all ages, many of y'all included, um, kicked off an exceptional youth program. Our stewardship committee got together and, and, and began putting together an infograph and reflecting on all the statistics. The letter that you'll receive in two weeks was printed. Um, and, it, and then our counter rolled past the 10,000 mark and the number of hours of just those that have logged hours. All of that in the last few weeks. And I sat there like, this is incredible. It's remarkable. And I sat there feeling good about it and probably a little too good. The activist Paul Kidder, who I was introduced to by Richard War, he was reflecting on why Buddhists, their instincts uh, to focus on self-reflection instead of action. And he says, why? Why do, why do Buddhists insist on the priority of awakening over acting? He says that one of the ways that they might answer this question is that to remove one's ego from one's peacemaking so that one's actions will not be coming from one's own ego needs, but from the wisdom and compassion that constitute one's true nature. And I want to pause for a moment. And I don't want to squash the energy or stop the momentum of, of I'm as confident as ever that we're being the body of Christ and we're being faithful with what we've been given and that we're sharing and being the love of Christ in the world. But I also want to think that our ego or our drive to fulfill our needs can be one of the most destructive ways of living. It is the sin that erodes the corporate body. It erodes the community because deep down, if we're not careful with where our feelings and our ego is coming from, we can begin to feed ourselves over others. Our need to be successful or good or prominent or accomplished, all of these things feed our ego. And while Jesus was certainly talking about his physical death to his disciples and his call to them to pick up their crosses was a reminder of that journey, I have to wonder if it's with equal importance that the Christian spiritual journey is about self-reflection so that our own egos may die and the image of God embedded within each of us may shine. Who do people say that you are? It's a question about identity. I think there's a difference in being the unique people God has created you to be and letting the toxic part of our egos die so that our motivations may come from, in Kidder's words, the wisdom and compassion that constitute one's true nature. What is it within our own selves that must die so that new life may spring forward, so that resurrection may happen? How can our identity not be about our ego, our accomplishments, or how great we are, but instead, how can our lives be reduced 
to that true love of God, to that wisdom and compassion of our true nature. Just like the seeds of an apple or any fruit, our Christian identity teaches us that death not only has the potential to produce life, but to plant the seed that will grow to shine the light of Christ in all. My last page of my sermon has miraculously gotten up and disappeared. (laughs) That is amazing. Maybe it's not what y'all need to hear today. (laughs) Stay tuned at 11.15 for more good stuff coming. (laughs) It is embedded within each of us at our core. At our core is that image of God. And the challenge of being community, the challenge of why we're gathered here, is not to do things in the sense of pride or ambition or all those things that we want. I mean, it's good. We want to feel good about what we're doing. We want to do all of that. But how do we let our ego die in a way where our motivation is not to fulfill that satisfaction that is personally driven, but models and lets the love of God shine forth, that true nature of God that is reduced compassion and empathy and love that is purely motivated out of nothing more than letting the love of God shine forth in this world. May we have the confidence to do that deep self-discovery work. It's a little bit threatening at times, I think, but may we also see that that death and dying brings forth to new life resurrection is possible because it's the journey that we're on. Amen.